Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, after the song we have just sung, it may seem a little odd to, to begin the sermon by asking if you have ever heard or even made yourself the remark to someone or at least had the thought, thank you for nothing. It's kind of a bitter remark, isn't it? Quite opposite to what we have just sung. But, but it happens. Maybe, maybe someone has failed to do something for you that you, you thought they could and they should have done. Like maybe they fixing a certain part or getting a certain part ordered for your car or for your truck and it, it didn't happen. Or, or perhaps in, in some other way someone failed to provide the service that you expected. That happens, doesn't it? It happens because all of us are human. Now hopefully, hopefully we would never say to the Lord, thank you for nothing. That would be very serious, wouldn't it? Paul lists as one of the sins, one of the primary sins in Romans 1 that really leads to all the host of the other sins, unthankfulness. But don't we ever struggle to be thankful to God? Sometimes it's easy, isn't it? But, but other times, it's not so easy. And, and maybe that's the case for some of you here this morning. Life can be hard. Our circumstances, whether physically or politically or, or even spiritually, can be disappointing and discouraging. We can go through times, like in the song we just sang, where the Lord hides His face from us. And, and though we might never say these words to God, thank you for nothing, and we certainly never should, the reality is that there can be at times in our lives, there can be times when we struggle to thank Him. There can be times in our lives when it seems like He is failing to provide. Now, for many of us here, perhaps, this morning may not be one of those times. I hope It is not, but it can be for various reasons. But whether we've come here as as ones who who don't know God at all and are are therefore unthankful to Him, or or whether we've come here desiring to thank God but, but struggling, or whether we've come here with our hearts bursting with thankfulness, it's always good to turn to a psalm like Psalm 147. A psalm that commands us in verse 7 to sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. A psalm that's overflowing with reasons to sing with thanksgiving. You see, it's a psalm, Psalm 147 is a psalm that helps us to see the Lord's wonderful provision for his people so that we would respond to him in thankful worship. That's that's the message and the purpose of this psalm. The Lord's wonderful provision for his people leads us to thankful worship. And so this morning we want to look at this psalm together under the theme, thanking the Lord for his wonderful provision. And we hope to see, if you have your bulletin from yesterday, you will see there's four points in the outline that I have there. I'm going to Make that into three points to better reflect the structure of the psalm because it's divided into three parts. And so the three kinds of provision in this psalm, first, his saving provision, secondly, his sustaining provision, and third, his special provision. Psalm 147 begins and ends with the command, 
Praise ye the Lord. Or you could translate, Hallelujah. But why? Why should we praise the Lord? Well, verse 1 immediately gives us three reasons to praise God. It is good, it is pleasant, and it is comely or fitting. But we might ask again, why? Why is is praising God and, and singing praise to Him good? Why is it pleasant? Why is it fitting? The answer of our psalm is because He provides for His people. And each of the three main sections of the psalm, which, which all begin with the command, in verse 1, you have praise ye the Lord. In verse 7, the second section, sing unto the Lord. And then in verse 12, the third section, praise the Lord and praise thy God, O Zion. Each of these sections, these three sections, describe something different about the Lord's provision. And so what does this first section in verse verses 1 through 6, then say about the Lord's provision. Well, it gives us a picture of his saving provision for his people. He builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts. He heals the broken in heart, and, and on and on it goes. But, but all together, you see these verses, what they're describing is the Lord's saving provision and how wonderful it is. It's a wonderful provision because it's so gracious. Verse 2 says, The Lord does build up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. Some think on the basis of this verse that this psalm was written after Judah, uh, re- Judah's return from the, the Babylonian exile under Ezra and, and Nehemiah. You remember how, how Nehemiah and Ezra led the exiles back and, and Nehemiah especially oversaw the, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Of Jerusalem, and, and So that could well be the occasion for this psalm. And it, if it is, it helps us to see not only the Lord's saving provision, but especially how gracious this provision is. Because what, why were the people gone from Jerusalem in the first place? The exile wasn't something that just happened to Israel. It's something that they had brought on themselves. God had warned them that Jerusalem would be destroyed and they would be cast out of their land if they rejected him and refused to obey him. And that's what happens. They have been cast out of their land because of their sins. But now... The Lord in His grace, according to His gracious purposes and His covenant promises, having brought them to repentance, He's gathering together the outcasts. He's rebuilding Jerusalem. Well, whether or not this verse is describing the return from the Babylonian exile, it certainly points to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Think of how he reveals himself in John 10 as the good shepherd who seeks and who, who, who brings home and, and who gathers together his sheep into one fold. Isn't that a gracious work? You see, Christ's sheep aren't people who deserve or who are entitled to his saving them. They are, they are people who, are, who, because of their sins, were separated from God, banished from his favor, and yet Christ seeks them, yet Christ gathers them together and brings them into saving fellowship with God. He gathers the outcasts. He builds up his church. 
He's doing that today. He's doing that in the world. He's doing that in southern Alberta. And he's doing that among us. What reason? What reason to thank him for his saving provision? Not only because it is so gracious, but also because it's so tender. So tender. Look at verse 3. He heals the broken, the shattered in heart. And he binds up their wounds. Can there be a more beautiful expression of the Lord's tenderness in saving his people? He doesn't ignore the misery of his people. He doesn't ignore them when they're brokenhearted over their own sin like David was in Psalm 51 or they're brokenhearted over the sins of others or they're brokenhearted because of affliction in their lives. No, the Lord doesn't ignore them. He heals them. That's why he sent his son as Isaiah 61 verse 1 declares to bind up the brokenhearted to save, to rescue us from the sin which is the cause of all our other miseries and to make us new creations in Christ, renewed in knowledge and in righteousness and in holiness. Oh, how often don't we need his healing. And that's our comfort, that he does heal. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. But does he notice me? Well, look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, He tells the number of the stars. He calls them all by their names. Congregation, that's amazing. We don't know how many stars there are. Scientists estimate, they, they estimate that the Milky Way has about 100,000 million stars. And the entire observable universe may have 200 billion trillion stars. That's 200 with 21 more zeros after it. We can't even comprehend that. But our text is saying God can because God knows. He tells the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. He knows them, each one personally, individually. And here's the thing. In Scripture... The great number of stars is a picture of the great multitude of the redeemed, of believers. Do you remember what God said when, when God took Abraham outside one night and, and what he said to him when he took him out? He, he told Abraham to, to look up in the sky and to count the stars if he could. And then he said this, so shall your seed be. It's not just referring to the nation of Israel. Because the New Testament makes clear that Abraham's seed is all who believe in Jesus Christ. They will be as the stars in number. Oh, we don't know and we can't know the number of the stars, much less call them all by name. But God does know the number and he calls them all by name. He knows the number and so he knows the number of his people and he knows all of them. By name, individually, personally, deeply. You know, probably the one comment I heard most after receiving your call was about how big this congregation is. 
and it is big. There are many of you I don't really know, and there are many of you whom I've met, and I've forgotten your names, sometimes in the same day. I'm trying, and I'm, I'm thankful for your patience. But congregation, and dear, broken-hearted, hurting believer listening this morning, I might not know you personally, but the Lord your God does. He's known you from all eternity because he chose you. He knows your sorrows. He knows your needs. And he, ha- and, and he not only will take care of you tomorrow, but he has been taking care of you and he is taking care of you this very morning. Because he never loses track of, he never forgets any of his people, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant they think they are. What reason, what reason, I say, to thank the Lord for his saving provision, so gracious and so tender. But it is also almighty. That's the spirit-inspired conclusion of the psalmist as he reflects on the Lord's knowledge of the stars so that in verse 5, he bursts out in praise, Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. It's without number. The number of the stars is fixed, though we don't know it. But the Lord's understanding, meaning here his skill, his ability, is immeasurable. 200 billion trillion stars doesn't even come close compared to the greatness of his power and understanding. And by his immeasurable power, by his infinite skill and ability, the Lord, as verse 6 declares, lifts up the meek. Literally, those who are bowed down, those who are humbled before the Lord, and he casts the wicked down to the ground. The point of this verse The point that I want to draw from this verse primarily is to highlight the almighty power of God in salvation. The power that lifts the humble out of the ash heap and out of the ruins that they have brought themselves into because Christ, you see, came and he humbled himself and bowed himself down to the grave as he bore the burden of his people's sins and the wrath of God in their place. And it's that same power that delivers his people from Satan and from all who oppose God and oppress God's people. Because God will cast them down to the ground. Christ's saving provision is so almighty. Oh, thanks be to God for his wonderful saving provision for his people. Yes, also for me and for you. Is that your response? But the psalm doesn't stop here, and that's important to note because sometimes, sometimes God's people do. We can be thankful for the Lord's salvation, but, but sometimes we don't see how that connects to our daily life. So instead of trusting him to supply all our daily needs, we, we trust in ourselves. We look to ourselves. And, and when things don't go the way that we think they should go, they, when they don't go smoothly, we begin to worry, and we become anxious, and we become stressed. But the psalm goes on, showing us not only the Lord's saving provision, but also the Lord's wonderful sustaining provision. We see that in verses 7 to 11, the second stanza of this psalm. It begins with another command. 
Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp to our God. And the rest of of the stanza, verses 8 to 11, highlights the Lord's sustaining care for his creation and especially for his poor and needy people who look to him. Verses 8 to 9, we see the Lord's provision in creation. And it's it's, it's put so, so vividly, isn't it? You know, sometimes... You know, we learn about how clouds form and how rain comes and how grass grows and we learn about all the intricate details and we, f- we forget that behind it all is the Lord. And this psalm reminds us it's the Lord who covers the heavens with his clouds, who prepares rain for the earth and who makes grass to grow upon the mountains. The Lord sustains his creation. From what I've been told, what, that's especially evident here this year. As it's been for the most part a good year for the crops. What a blessing from God. How good and fitting then it is to thank Him. And, and think too of how the grocery stores that we, that we go to, that we, where we buy our food from, have, haven't been empty. They have been filled with vegetables and fruit and meat, all of which could only be there because the Lord, whether here or some other place in the world, covered the heavens with clouds, prepared rain for the earth, and made grass to grow. What reason to thank him? But maybe someone says, well, what about the increased cost of groceries? Maybe you've struggled to make ends meet this year. And maybe that, maybe that makes it difficult to, to be thankful to God this morning. But, but notice how the psalmist continues in verse 9. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens which cry. The psalmist wants us to see here that the Lord sustains and cares for the animal creation. Yes, even the needy, the baby and baby ravens. And that just as he cares for his, his creatures, the birds and the animals, so he cares for and will sustain his people, even all the poor and needy who look to him. That's why he goes on to remind God's people in verses 11 to 12. He delights not in the strength of the horse. He takes not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure. He takes pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. You see what he's saying by this verse? He's saying that the Lord's sustaining care is not just displayed in creation. It's assured, assured to the poor and needy who look to him. The Lord Jesus himself makes that clear in Luke 12, verse 24, when he says to his disciples, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? You see, he's saying essentially the same thing. The Lord values. He takes pleasure in his disciples and those who fear him and hope in his mercy. And Jesus actually goes on to say in Luke 12 that it's the Father's good pleasure even to give his people the kingdom. They may be small, God's people may be small, they may be weak compared to the world, but the Lord loves them and he assures them of the greatest blessing of all, his kingdom. How much more then should they not trust him to supply all of their material and physical needs? 
He's arguing, the Lord Jesus is arguing from the greater to the lesser. If, if the Lord is pleased to give you the kingdom, and he is, then surely he will give you everything you need for life in this world. Can we not then sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, believing in faith that he sees our needs and has promised to sustain all who trust in him? And has he not done that for us, congregation? Perhaps not in the way we wanted, perhaps not in the way we expected, perhaps not as much as we wanted or, or thought we needed, but yet this morning we are here, we have been fed, the Lord has provided. He has sustained us with food and drink and a home and clothing. So let us thank him. But how do I do that? Well, go back to verse 7. Sing. Sing to him with thanksgiving. That's one way we can show thanks to the Lord. But verse 11 also shows another way to thank God, namely by fearing him and by hoping in his mercy, expectantly waiting. That's what the word hope means here. Expectantly waiting on his loving kindness, like a baby bird, like a baby raven, opens its beak and cries out for more, waiting expectantly for food. That's not being demanding, congregation. That's not being unthankful. No, that's being thankful for his, the, the sustaining care that God has already shown to us in his mercy. So that you fear him, you respect and you revere him, and you seek to please him for who he is and what he has done, and you continue to look to him for more, more of his sustaining care. You don't trust in yourself. You don't trust in your own resources or power because the Lord doesn't delight in the legs of a man and the strength of a horse. No, you look to him to supply all your needs. The Lord takes pleasure in that. He loves that. What reason then to thank him? To thank him in song and by humble expectation, by reverence of him for his saving and sustaining provision. But again, the psalm's not done. There's more to thank God for than just his saving and sustaining provision. Verse 12 begins the third and final stanza of the psalm with another command, this time directly addressed to God's people. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. This brings us now then to our third point, the third kind of provision to thank God for, namely his special provision for his people, for the people he saves and sustains. And there are two parts to the Lord's special provision. Verses 13 to 14 celebrates the Lord's strengthening of his church. For he has strengthened the bars of thy gates. In other words, congregation, it's saying here that the Lord has made his church secure against her enemies because that's what bars on gates do, right? Maybe, children, you, you like to build Lego castles or maybe you like to build forts outside and, and, and how, how might you reinforce your fort? How might you reinforce that castle to keep the enemy out? Well, you, put, you might put bars in front of the gates so that the enemy, enemy can't come in. That's what makes your castle, your fort secure. And in the same way the Lord has made his church secure, he strengthens the bars of her gates. It's a picture 
of his establishing total security against outside enemies. Now, that does not mean the church is never attacked. It is. It is hated, and it is persecuted, and it is assaulted. But it means that the Lord keeps and preserves his church in the midst of it. His church and his people are secure. The gates of hell shall not prevail against her. And although that doesn't necessarily mean either that every individual congregation will continue, it does mean that as long as a congregation continues faithful, it's not because they are so strong, it's because he is so so strong and he has made them secure. And can we not say that still about us as a congregation? That God has strengthened the bars of our gates. He has kept us secure. Oh, what reason to humbly thank him and to trust him even in the face of our temptations and struggles. But he strengthens his church not only by making her secure against outside enemies. The psalmist continues, he has blessed thy children within thee. The Lord has strengthened the church not just from without, but from within by showing favor and grace to her inhabitants, even to their children. And have we not experienced that also as a congregation? Has he not blessed us and our children in so many ways? Every baptism, every confession of faith, every growth in grace, every worship service, every opportunity to come to the Lord's table is fresh evidence of his blessing and strengthening us and our children. Oh, what reason to thank him or not? There are two more ways in which he strengthens his church. Look at verse 14. He makes peace within thy borders. The Lord is the one who establishes and maintains peace in his church. And don't we need that? There are so many divisions and tensions between churches and within churches over so many things. And I'm sure that's true also here among us. How can we keep together? How can we walk in peace with one another? It can seem maybe impossible at times, but it's not impossible and it's not hopeless because the Lord we worship is the establisher and maintainer of peace in his church. Oh, let's be thankful to him for that. And let's show our thankfulness by pursuing peace with others ourselves. One more way the Lord strengthens his church is in the last part of verse 14. He fills thee with the finest or the best of wheat. In other words, congregation, the Lord is the provider of full satisfaction. He always gives and he continually gives the very best, the best of the best. Has he not proven that by giving us his son, Jesus Christ? I love how Psalter 297 verse 3 puts it. Oh, praise the Lord, ye sons of men, for all his goodness shown. Oh, praise him for the wondrous works to you he has made known. The longing soul that turns to him, he fully satisfies. He fills with good each hungering one that for his mercy cries. Oh dear Bethel Free Reformed Church of Monarch, this is our God. Hallelujah! 
what reason to thank and to praise him with heart and mouth for his special provision for us in strengthening us in his grace as part of his church. Yes, what reason to thank him also and above all for his special provision of his word. You see, God's word is a theme of the last section of the psalm in verses 15 to 20. You notice how in verses 15 to 17, the authority and power of God's word is illustrated in creation. He sends forth his commandment upon earth. His word runs very swiftly. In other words, God's word carries almighty power. Psalm 33 verse 9 speaks of his powerful word in in reference to the creation of the world. He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. But now this psalm, Psalm 147, speaks of God's powerful word in reference to his rule over creation. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the hoarfrost like ashes. He casts forth his ice or his hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? You know, as hard as it is to believe today, sooner or later, congregation, and sooner than later, we're going to experience God's cold. It's Alberta, after all. But when that cold and snow and frost comes, just like the hail that came in the summer, let it remind us of the authority and power of God's word. And when the Chinook winds blow, or when spring finally comes once again, let us remember it is because, as verse 18 says, the Lord sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. All of these things, all of these changes in the weather and the changes in the seasons, congregation, show us the authority and the power of God's word. But here's the amazing thing. The Lord God, who speaks with such power in creation has condescended to speak in a special way in an even more powerful way to his people. Look at verses 19 to 20. This is the climax. He shows or declares his word unto Jacob his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He has not dealt so with any other nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Do you catch the awe and the wonder of the psalmist here? He's amazed. You could say he's almost stunned by God's provision and revelation of his word to Jacob, a word that is far more powerful than God's word in creation because it's a saving and a sanctifying word. It's a word that transforms a twisting and deceitful Jacob into Israel, God's own special treasure. He's amazed and humbled that God in his grace has treated them different than he has the rest of creation and even than all the rest of the nations. And the only response the psalmist has is to call all God's people, all to whom God has given this great provision of his word to praise the Lord. You see, congregation, that is his supreme provision, his word. That above all else, is what we should be thankful for this Thanksgiving Day. 
Well, after a psalm like Psalm 147, what can we say to God? But thanks be to Him for everything. Thanks be to Him for His saving provision, for His sustaining provision, and for His special provision. Oh, surely there's no reason to be unthankful still after hearing this psalm, is there? Surely there's much reason to thank Him even if you are facing struggles this morning. Surely, surely this psalm should lead us to be bursting with thanksgiving to God, to sing to Him with thanksgiving, to praise the Lord our God, our great provider, for matchless grace and mercy your grateful praises bring. To Him give thanks forever. And hallelujahs, sing. Amen. Amen. Let us pray and give thanks. Our Father, who art in heaven, our Creator and our Provider, the one with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, from whom we receive every good and perfect gift. We come in thanksgiving and praise, for your word has reminded us of your many and your varied gifts and provisions. And so we come to give thanks to you, O Lord, for your gifts and your provisions for us. We give thanks for your saving provision. We give thanks that you are the builder of Jerusalem and that you gather together the outcasts of Israel. We give thanks that you have done that here, O Lord, for that is the only reason that our congregation exists. If it were not for Christ seeking and saving sinners and for him seeking and restoring backsliders, seeking and restoring his sheep that go astray so quickly, not one of us would be here, for there would be no church. But there is a church, and it's not because of us. It's not even because of our giving. It's because of your giving, because of your glorious grace. We give thanks, O Lord, that you are the one who tenderly heals the brokenhearted and who binds up their wounds. That you sent your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and put your spirit upon him to do this healing work through his one sacrifice on the cross. And that through the Holy Spirit's work today, Christ continues healing. And so we thank you for the healing that you have worked in the hearts and lives of many in our congregation this past year. And we thank you that you haven't lost track or forgotten one of your people. For just as you tell the number of the stars and you call them all by name, so you have chosen and you know the number of your people and you know each of them personally. Not one of them is insignificant to you. And so we don't need to say in fear, my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God. For you are the everlasting God. You are the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth who neither faints nor is weary. And so we worship you, O Lord, with a psalmist. We say, great 
are you, O Lord, and of great power. Your understanding, your skill, your ability is infinite. You are he who lifts up the humble and who casts down the wicked to the ground. You are the God of our salvation. And so we thank you for your saving provision here and all over this world as the gospel is brought in places near and far and as you are gathering the outcasts all over this world. Lord, we, we thank you and we praise you for your marvelous, sovereign grace and work of redemption. And we pray, Lord, that you would do it more, that you would build up your church more, that you would build her in every place of this world, that you would gather more outcasts, that you would heal more broken hearts also among us, that you would bind up more wounds. Yes, Lord, lift up the meek, lift up the humble, and cast the wicked and all their wicked plans down to the ground so that they too would be humbled and look to you and that you too then might also lift them up. We thank you, O Lord, also for your sustaining provision for us. How many times in this past year didn't you cover the heaven with clouds and prepared rain for the earth? You sent rain and you made the grass to grow, not only on the mountains, but also in our fields. You have blessed us with a good year, and we pray that you would continue to help the farmers that they may be able to complete the harvest. We thank you that you not only give to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry, but you also give us and our families the food we need and that you assure all who look to you of your continued, everlasting care. For you are the Lord who takes pleasure in those who fear you, in those who hope in your mercy. Thank you too, O Lord, for sustaining us with, with health and strength and sustaining us also even in times of sickness and in times of frailty by the comfort that none of this happens without, none of it happens by chance, but all of it happens under your fatherly care and fatherly blessing. We thank you too for the work and the employment we have been enabled to do through which we have been able, able to earn money in order to buy groceries, to pay our bills, and to enjoy even many good gifts. Thank you for our government and the ways in which they have blessed us, building and maintaining infrastructure, promoting justice, and keeping us safe. Thank you for the relative peace we have enjoyed as a nation. And as we think of that too, Lord, we also pray for those areas in the world where there is not that stability and not that peace that we enjoy, we pray for them, Lord. We think especially of Ukraine and Russia. And there are other places, too, that don't always make the news. Oh, Lord, we pray that you and your mercy would bring stability and peace. Thank you, O oh Lord, for the education our children may receive, whether at home or at various schools in our communities. Thank you for all the staff and and the teachers, and for all who seek to teach our children from a Christian and a biblical perspective. Bless them. Reward them, Lord, for their labors in, in your grace. 
You have sustained us, O Lord, in countless ways. And so we thank you and praise you. Lord, we thank you also as part of your church for all the ways that you have helped and strengthened us in this past year. You have strengthened the bars of our gates, as the psalm says. We have been preserved from error and from compromise as a, as a church by your grace. And so we, conti- we pray that you would continue to keep us, continue to preserve us, continue to keep us secure, we pray. You have blessed us and our children. We thank you, O Lord, again for all the baptisms, all the confessions of faith, all the new marriages, all the new members and visitors, all the fellowship and the mutual encouragement and faith that we have experienced. We thank you, too, for the new church in Picture Butte that came out of us and and for how well and how peaceably that went. And we pray that You would not only bless them, but also continue to bless us as a church. Bless us also in our marriages and families. Bless also Julian and Sarah, who hope to be married later this week. We thank you especially, O Lord, for how you have answered prayers beyond what we could ask or think in providing pastors for all three of our churches here in Alberta with Pastor Chris in Calgary and myself here and Brother Epp hoping to arrive soon to take up the work in Picture Butte. Lord, truly, you have been good to your people. And we ask that you would then crown us as congregations with your favor, that the word that we as pastors may bring would bear much fruit to the praise and the glory of Christ, our King and our heavenly Bridegroom. Thank you, O Lord, for how you have established and maintained peace within our borders as a church. Even with all the tensions of the past couple years that has affected churches and congregations all over, you have kept us in peace. We have not had a church split. Lord, that is your mercy. That is your grace. And we give humble thanks for that. And we ask, we plead that that will continue. Grant there always to be fervent love for one another. Thank you, O Lord, for your abundant satisfaction, for filling us with the best of wheat, for satisfying our longing souls with grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We praise you, and we look to you to continue to satisfy us with your goodness and with your grace and loving kindness. Oh, how you have provided for your church as a husband for his bride. What can we say? But bow in adoration and declare how lovely you are, fairer than all the sons of men, What more can we do than do for the sake of our King, for the sake of Jesus Christ? Abandon the world, abandon all other comforts that we look to and devote ourselves entirely to Him. Lord, above all, we thank You for how You have provided us with Your Word. 
that word which is far more powerful than your word in creation that governs and controls the snow and the frost and the hail and the winds. For you have provided us with the word which you have promised to use to sanctify and to save sinners, to save Jacob's. And that word which you use to transform us into the people you call us to be, people devoted entirely to you, that word is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. It's not a word we deserved. It's a word you have given, you have shown, you have declared, you have revealed. And so we thank you not only for giving us pastors and preachers as well to proclaim your word, but also for seminaries that train men for the ministry of your word. We thank you especially for Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, for all the staff and for the way you have blessed them and kept them faithful to your word. And we ask then that you will continue to bless them, continue to keep them faithful, and continue to call more men to the ministry that they may be trained by faith, and to the seminary that they may be trained by faithful men men also that may come from among us, so that all the pulpits in our denomination would be filled, and so that even we would have men to go out and to plant churches, so that more people would join us in wonder and awe at your revelation, your declaring, your showing, your word to them. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that your word is your supreme provision, and we thank and praise you for it. And we ask you to continue to bless it in our midst as we read it at home, at work, at school, and at church, and as we hear it proclaimed every week, Lord, unless your spirit blesses it, we, it won't do anything. We need your spirit to enlighten our eyes, to give us understanding of your word, and so we pray for that. And we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we stand in awe of all your provision, seeing it as your free and sovereign gift, we ask that you would receive our praise and our thanks for all these things. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.